You're listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast, featuring conversations inspired by a new era of sustainable and inclusive growth. Welcome to the second episode of McKinsey's Future of America podcast, where we'll explore how we can build a future that drives sustainable and inclusive growth. I'm your host for today, Quaylen Ellenwood. I'm a McKinsey Global Institute director and a senior partner based in Minneapolis. I lead insights on the future of work, gender equality, racial equity, and productivity. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Shelley Stewart, a senior partner in our New Jersey office and the head of McKinsey's Institute of Black Economic Mobility. In that role, he's led numerous research reports on economic mobility and racial equity. Shelley, welcome, and thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Shelley, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background? Absolutely. Shelley Stewart, again, thank you for having me. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey, and I, among several things, have the privilege of having founded and lead our Institute for Black Economic Mobility, which is our think and do tank that is focused on helping to accelerate economic inclusion for Black people with a starting focus on in the United States. And it actually links to uh, some of my background uh, prior to McKinsey, where I was doing some investing in areas that would now be considered impact investing. So serving uh, certain types of communities through housing investments and healthcare investments. So very, very happy to to be having this discussion with you. This is all about sustainable and inclusive growth. And I want to first start on inclusion. And before we dive into your broader extensive research on economic inclusion for Black Americans, let's talk about the fundamentals of sustainable and inclusive growth. What does it mean to you? Yes. Sustainable inclusive growth is such an important and and relevant concept throughout the world. And I think I'll start with growth because that's a topic that I think folks are very familiar with. And and it is important. And growth is important. I think about the United States. It's important to our fiscal health as a country for us to grow and so that our tax base is growing and so that we can then, those dollars can be used for public goods and and public services that, that we all use. It's really important for individual living standards. And so we really should be thinking about this concept of growth, but growth by itself, growth without thinking about the distribution or or how those benefits accrue, I think is incomplete. And so as you expand to start to think about sustainable inclusive growth, you're, you're introducing ideas like how broadly distributed are the benefits of that growth? If you're talking about increasing living living standards, what's the distribution of that increase look like? And, and I think it's increasingly important in the U.S., but, but in, in many developed and developing countries that we continue to think about the resource distribution and, and who gets to participate because the more inclusive we actually find, the more growth you get because growth is driven by, in large part, due to productivity, your workforce productivity, and, and people need to you know, be participating in the economy for their circumstances to improve and for that to actually materialize. And then when I think about sustainable, there, there's a number of things that come to mind. One is the obvious one, which is the, the sustainability of our planet, right, of our environment. And that's a topic that I do believe is, is, is an existential issue that, that I think is getting sufficient attention these days, but you can never be paying enough attention to that. But I think there's also a point when I think about the word sustainability here, which gets back to my point on inclusion, which is the sustainability of institutions and the sustainability of political systems requires that we have inclusive economic participation 
Uh, we know from history that as inequality starts to grow and when resources accrue to smaller and smaller numbers of people, those systems start to get a bit shaky. And so I think these are really interwoven and interlinked concepts. And, and I'm glad that the we've expanded from talking about just GDP as a single metric to thinking about sustainable, inclusive growth. You can't have the growth without the sustainable and the inclusion. Absolutely. Last June, Shelley, you published a report on the economic state of Black America. And there were some staggering statistics about the racial wealth, inheritance gaps, other gaps. Can you tell us more about those insights? Absolutely. So we wanted to understand the economic participation of Black Americans today. We started with this idea that there's a wealth gap, and we wanted to understand if we kind of take wealth off to the side and just say, like, what are the factors for economic participation? And, and many of those which ultimately should contribute to wealth. How are Black Americans doing today? And so we looked at things like Black Americans as workers and wages and income associated with that as business owners and entrepreneurs as consumers of goods and services, many of which are essential things like food and healthcare access, uh, as savers and investors, and as residents. And, and we found across the board that there's substantial disparities that, that exist today that have to be addressed if we're going to start to even think about making progress against the wealth gap. And the, the, the starting point on the wealth side of this equation is that there were many events throughout the course of American history that contributed to the creation of wealth. And the history is quite, you know, quite well documented that in many of those instances, Black Americans were not able to participate in those wealth creation events. And so we fast forward to today and we say there's a big gap. And, and so then you look at the factors today that would need to be in place to close it. And we start to then get into the solution space. So if you take something like wages... We know there's a $220 billion annual wage gap for Black Americans today. That is, if Black Americans were paid their fair share of the wage, uh, their, their fair share of wages paid every year, it would be $220 billion higher. Uh, that's more dollars flowing into, into, into Black uh, you know, pockets every year. And so really trying to understand where the disparity is showing up and what, we need, what do we need to do against each of these levers in each of these areas is, is really the focus of that report. Shelley, can you help us understand that racial wealth gap in more detail and what are the implications of it? The racial wealth gap is, is pretty substantial today and it hasn't really changed over time. You know, call it uh, you know, one eighth to one tenth, depending on the year you're looking and, and it's pretty entrenched. That is that the median black family has about one eighth, one ninth of the wealth of the median white family. And if you actually look at the wealth flows in a given year, there's about a $300 billion gap, you're missing wealth flows in the Black community. That is, if Black Americans had their fair share of the wealth flows every year based on their share of the population, there'd be $300 billion more. And 60% of that is due to missing inheritance. And so you think about that as being a function of Black Americans being unable to participate in a lot of the historic wealth creation events that happened in this country. And so that, that impact is still shows up today and, and, and you know, annually when you look at how much wealth flows. And if you combine that lack of wealth and that inheritance gap with the fact that many Black Americans live in communities 
that are lacking for resources and you don't have your own resources to supplement, then it's very hard to be in a situation where you have an equal opportunity to thrive and achieve your full potential because that requires resources. There are many ways to come at it. And I think in the end, wealth is an outcome, but it's also an input. And and so we've got to be thinking about what, what can we do to help knowing that that deficit exists? What can we do to address and make sure that that deficit doesn't become suffocating with respect to one's ability to progress in society. You mentioned a couple of the historical wealth creation events that Black Americans weren't able to participate in or participate in fully. What are some examples of those? There's a couple that I would highlight. I think that it's widely accepted that some of the rules and regulations around uh, home ownership and you know this this whole conversation around what redlining did for Black Americans as it relates to owning homes that would appreciate in value. And that was a huge wealth creation event, and, and Black Americans were largely excluded from that. And those are things that there are significant knock-on effects of, of being excluded from these wealth creation events that, that have to be acknowledged. I think another example would be the GI Bill. The GI Bill was a wonderful mechanism to create economic mobility and ultimately wealth creation opportunities by educating uh, our, our returning heroes and veterans who, who, who we should have been investing in. And, and, and I'm glad that we did, but Black Americans did not participate uh, in the same way as other Americans did. And so these exclusions add up over time. And so that if you get to a point where now you've got some of the barriers have been reduced, you haven't really addressed, though, the, that the starting point is significantly depressed for Black Americans. And so you have to start to build that into the calculus looking forward. One of the things that you wrote really stuck with me uh, in writing about closing racial economic gaps. You said, you know, this isn't just about writing historical wrongs. It's also about choosing a more dynamic future. And I thought, what a perfect way to describe what we need for sustainable and inclusive growth. Can you talk about what that more dynamic future would look like? Absolutely. I think we just talked a little bit about the history and and I do believe that we have to acknowledge that history and because that is important to understanding the starting point and understanding the starting point, you can start to think about how we build going forward. But it's not just about that. This is it is also about investing in people, human capital that are the workers of tomorrow to build and foster a stronger and more dynamic labor force, which then sets us on a path for a more dynamic future. So investing to educate people to a very high bar, regardless of their wealth or their family income, the family wealth and income that they're born into, that will pay off for us in the future in terms of our workforce. And if we can find ways to foster more diverse business formation, that will strengthen our domestic supply chains and, and make our economy more resilient. And so it, to me, it just comes down to, we have an opportunity to invest in, in human capital that has implications for labor, for our labor force, for our business ecosystem. And that, that rising tide will lift all boats. And so, and in doing that, we will also be addressing some historical wrongs. And so I think there, there, is, a, there is a synergy that exists between those two things. Shelley, you've talked about Black Americans as workers, as homeowners. What about as consumers? Right? You recently 
published a, a deep dive on the experience of Black consumers. What were some of the insights that you found? Yeah, this this topic of Black consumers is, is a really fascinating and, and important one, in, in my opinion. It, it's, and sometimes it's a little bit counterintuitive for folks when we're talking about wealth building and economic mobility. How how is consumption consistent with that thread? And I think sometimes we we forget that much of what we consume are necessities that are critical to human development. And so if you look at the Black consumer today, much of what they consume are on things that are basic needs. So food, housing, healthcare services, things that relate to training and education. And then of course, all the other stuff, transportation, apparel. And, and these are, these are for their, all these different things contribute to human development in their own way. And when you have when you, when you don't have access to these things at, at the appropriate level that you should, and or the quality of these offerings is below what they should be, there's real consequences for the economy. And so, if I think about the access point, take something like food. We looked at what the USDA defines as food deserts, so lack of affordable fresh food options, and we found that Black Americans, uh, eight million Black Americans, so one one in five live in what is defined as a USDA food desert. That has all sorts of implications for uh, for families, for the way children actually experience education and health. And so you, so you all sorts of downstream consequences from this lack of access. And I'm talking both grocery and, and, and also you know, restaurants and, and so on. We find similar access issues with uh, financial institutions, you're significantly more likely to live in a, in a banking desert if you're Black. Uh, similarly with healthcare and also with broadband, right? And the broadband issue is another example of something that touches many things. If you, if you don't have access to broadband or affordable broadband, it has implications for your ability to learn remotely, which was a huge issue during the pandemic. There, it, um, the, the potential to have access to remote healthcare, there are many, many, many things that that compound when you don't have access to these things, and so uh, we've been we've been quite focused on shining a light on the access issues, and then saying, and by the way, understanding who the black consumer is, and ensuring that the products and services that you're deliver that you're designing and delivering meet their needs is also very, very important, but also a commercial opportunity. For, for companies. So this is another example where there's there should be win-wins that can be created. What can consumer-facing companies do to capture part of that opportunity? Yeah, the, the opportunity is huge. As you said, it's, it's measured in the hundreds of billions. And, and I might add that the Black consumer uh, you know, overall segment, if you will, which is, which is by no means monolithic, but if you take it in the aggregate, it, it's going to be growing from around a billion dollars of, of consumption across categories today to almost to around 1.7 billion by 2030. And if you look at the underlying growth rates that are implied there and you compare that to other parts of the population, it, it's it's faster. And, and and that should be a sign that there is a real opportunity. As you start to think about what you can do to address the challenges, there's a number of things. First, what does your company look like? If you if you're in the four walls of your business, how diverse? What, what voices are in the rooms? And, and, and in the rooms at all levels. And if you think about something like marketing and marketing and, and consumer insights, 
do you have diverse voices with diverse lived experiences in the room that can ensure that this customer segment is is acknowledged and considered? So one is is the diversity of your company matters. Uh, and then and then beyond that, there's a number of things that you that that we found in our research that that black consumers really care about. So one is they actually do want to know what you're doing from a corporate social responsibility perspective. What are the issues that you are championing and supporting philanthropically? What are the issues that you're championing to the extent you're doing it out publicly that are political or policy issues? They want to understand how well that maps to their to the things that are important to them. Right. To the extent that you're a, a platform or, or, or a retailer of different people's brands, how are you interacting with diverse companies and, in, in this case, Black brands and, and helping them come to market? That matters to the consumers. When you're designing products and you're thinking about the, the features and the pricing and the channels to market, how are you incorporating insights and, and, and desires and needs of Black consumers in that design process? So th- there, are, there's, there are a whole bunch of things you have to do. It's not just ensuring that Black, consu- uh, black customers or people show up in your marketing. Black consumers are expecting a holistic approach to, frankly, winning their wallets and their hearts and, and, and their mind share. And, and, and the prize is big and we've seen companies do it, but it's got to be authentic uh, because if it's not, Black consumers will sniff that out. That's kind of customer facing or consumer facing companies. What about non-consumer facing companies? I'm thinking business to business uh, industries. What can they do to capture more of that opportunity with Black Americans? I think that some of the things are similar. I, there's, a, there's still this idea of, of driving broader diversity, equity, and inclusion through your institution. And I think we're seeing, I mean, that expectation from shareholders, from employees, particularly younger employees, is only increasing. And so regardless of whether you're B2B or B2C, the expectation that you're building a diverse company and a diverse workforce is is really important. Uh, but but then if you think about things like what commitments have you made to supplier diversity and, and diversifying your supply base, what does your location strategy look like in, in terms of your physical assets and infrastructure? Because where you choose to situate those has implications for what communities benefit. And so how are you taking a, an inclusive frame when you're thinking about that? And then the same thing holds for your philanthropic commitments, the policy issues that you're engaged in, in caring about. So all companies can benefit from those things. We're going to take a quick break before diving into our next segment. We're back from our break. Shelley, I'd like to talk about the future of America more broadly. In our first segment, we talked a lot about the inclusion element of sustainable and inclusive growth. Now I'd like to shift a bit more to the growth piece of things. Where and how do you see CEOs, companies, especially Black-owned companies, driving transformative growth? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what I'm seeing on the Black-owned company front. We really, over the last couple of years, have seen a, a whole wave of individuals just decide to go out and take risk and start new companies to meet the demand that, frankly, has been unmet, as we talked about in the first segment. Uh, there's a few different areas or sectors where I'm really seeing this. One is financial inclusion. The second is, is healthcare access. And then the third is consumer products. On the financial inclusion front, you've seen a, a whole... Uh, as I said, wave of entrepreneurs who are using technology. Right? This idea of fintech as a as a catalyst and as a 
lower cost, quicker way to get to market for products and services. And these are companies that are offering traditional banking services to the underbanked, investing opportunities to the to folks that are new to or traditionally have been kind of blocked uh, blocked from participating because their wealth wasn't large enough to participate in some platforms. And so you're really starting to see some innovation leak in. And I think you, you see some of the bigger companies recognizing this, uh, but but there really are some some exciting things going on in the fintech space that are that are starting to bridge some of these gaps. On the health and access side, very similar. You're you're seeing uh, particularly in urban areas, you're seeing entrepreneurs really get bold about their using technology and uh, and planting physical locations in areas that are healthcare deserts today to serve this population. And and I think that if you look across the the country, there are a lot of these markets. I mean, you're two and a half times more likely to live in a healthcare access desert if you're a Black American, and there are entrepreneurs that see and recognize this, uh, and they are and they are they are jumping into that breach and, and filling that opportunity. And then on the consumer product side, similarly, there's there's a general level, and it's category by category. But if you think about beauty and some of the stuff on the apparel side, there there is there has been historically a level of dissatisfaction, the notion of being un, you know, not seen in in the products that are being delivered to market in you know, by some more traditional companies. And you're seeing people take advantage of that. Some of them are celebrities. Some of them are smaller brands. Again, just entrepreneurial individuals who recognize this opportunity. And so I, I'm really excited about the growth potential of these, these, these diverse entrepreneurs who are recognizing a real opportunity. And we're also in a moment where there's been a, a bright light that has been uh, that 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 has that has been uh, shown on the lack of capital that has historically flowed to these companies, and we're starting to see some of that unlock. And I think that's a huge opportunity for the investment community as well. Yes. So that's the growth piece. We talked already about the inclusion piece. The third and final piece of it is around sustainability. And how does sustainability intersect with racial equity? Yeah, sustainability really is 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 an important topic, as I said earlier, for 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 everyone. I, mean, I think an existential topic, given what's going on with the environment. I think there's an in, there's a couple of inter uh, interesting intersections with racial equity. If I think about from an environmental perspective, I, I fundamentally believe that that you know environmental justice and sustainability issues are also racial equity issues, particularly if you think about the situation in the United States. The populations that are most vulnerable to the disruption that is on the horizon due to what's going on with the environment are the are, are, are communities that are poorer communities and that are more racially diverse communities given the given the overlap there. You know, these are they often live in places that have more paved roads, less green space, which lots of implications for how they, you know, the air quality and things like that. And often in places that are either currently or historically more adjacent to industry and, and, and other pollutants. And so as we think about sustainability and we think about climate justice and environmental justice, we, the, 
if we don't, you know, a failure to move with all deliberate speed is going to only further widen existing gaps and disparities. And so that that's that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is when we surveyed black consumers, what we found was interesting. They are very, very focused on sustainability of supply chains for the things that they buy, very focused on you know, health and organic as it relates to food, even more so than the population on the whole. And so as you think about whether you're a, a Black-owned business or any company that is trying to sell to this segment, you are going to have to be strong on sustainability because this is something that these consumers actually care about. Uh, and, and, and in some instances, in some categories, they care about it actually more than other segments of the population. Overall, you know, we're seeing the economy gradually recover from a jobs perspective pretty steadily. I think right now we're about 1.6 million jobs below where we were pre-COVID, a little over two years ago. But we also know that Black Americans have been disproportionately affected, certainly from a health perspective, um, even from a jobs perspective. What can we do to level the field? I think it starts with understanding the st- where we are in the data, right? understanding the employment levels at, at some level of granularity. And I think some will say, well, why, you know, do we, if we cut the data by Black Americans, then are we creating more issues? And my view of it is it, we know that if we don't understand what's happening it doesn't get better. We've already, we've already in some ways tried. That. And, and so I think you, even before you think about what we're going to do to action it, just a fundamental understanding of how Black Americans are doing in the economy at some level of granularity is really, really important. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't shy away from that. I think the second thing is we should recognize the jobs that Black Americans are in and, and revisit no, are, are we, are these jobs or, or, or that Black Americans are disproportionately in because there are all sorts of Americans, all types of Americans are in these jobs, but do, do these jobs have adequate compensation? Do they have adequate benefits? Do they have, ad, do they have adequate flexibility? Do they have, you know, are they, if, are, do they have adequate predictability? And so the first step is just understanding the jobs that folks are in. I mean, we call these essential workers during the crisis, well, then we should treat them like essential workers. And so this overlay of of, of this idea of good jobs, and are they good jobs? And are people being fairly compensated for the work that they're doing and the contributions that they're making to society? I think that's, that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, if you look across the landscape of occupations that are going to be accelerating over time, uh, both in terms of the number of jobs, but also the compensation, what are we doing to help Black Americans get positioned for those jobs? Whether that's through education, uh, further upstream, uh, and, and helping to make sure that, for example, college affordability is is uh, is, is, an, is is real and, and, and allows Black Americans to be unafraid to take on the risk of getting a, a graduate degree in some STEM field that we know will pay off, but that is seems suffocating today because it's so expensive. Uh, we, we tracked some of this in our research and we looked at the pipelines to law and to medicine 
and there was there was this fall off point, and, and it was different by occupation, but a lot of it was around affordability or or, an, or or how long you could forego earning an income in the case of becoming a physician. And so, how are we thinking about addressing some of the affordability challenges so that people can go into some of these faster growth, higher paying professions? So, I just think being deliberate about some of the challenges that might be unique to certain populations and being unafraid to have just a fair and open dialogue about it and to take action across the private and public sector. These are things that we have to do if we're going to change the circumstances. Absolutely. And Shelly, to your point, when you look at jobs that Black Americans were more likely to occupy, it's a bit bimodal. There's one group, right? Black Americans are more likely to be in customer service and sales, in food service, right? Those were deeply impacted by COVID, also deeply impacted by long-term automation trends. So those jobs can shrinking over time and then certainly a lot of disruption there. On the other side, Black Americans are more likely to be in healthcare, right? Rapidly growing, certainly some long-term growth trends. So lots of disruption on both sides. I think Black Americans being more likely to be both in big gainer occupations and big loser occupations over the next five, 10 years. We're going to take a quick break before our rapid fire Q&A. We are back from our break in talking to Shelly Stewart. Shelly, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. I was struck by what you shared on racial wealth gaps, historical drivers of some of the inequities, and what companies can do to close those gaps. We're wrapping up each of our Future of America episodes with rapid fire Q&A. Shelly, you're up. Is there a book or an article that you've read recently that excites you about more sustainable and inclusive growth in the future? Yeah, I recently read an article uh, in the New York Times that was an interview with with Thomas Piketty. And he, he, he looks at this notion of the distribution of wealth. And it, you know, that's kind of what he, what he does. And I was surprised at the title of the article, given what we know about the increased accumulation of wealth by a smaller and smaller set of, of, of individuals, that he was optimistic about this idea of a more inclusive economy, that the, that the arc of history suggests that you have to consider longer than decades to understand where this is going. And he talks about the, the fact that the, the U.S. has 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 done this before. We 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 put into place in you know, policies and programs that have made the economy more inclusive. And so there's so there's nothing you know deterministic about where we are today. We can decide to do that again. And and I just thought it was a fascinating mix of some some economic history, some philosophical musings, right? And 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 I, I just think uh it it does give me a, a level of optimistic that someone who really studies this this concept of inclusive growth is is optimistic despite what recent trends in the data suggest. Wonderful. And beyond those historical examples or trends, what makes you personally optimistic that we can achieve sustainable and inclusive growth? I'm optimistic because the quantity of discussions and the quality of discussions that we're having with our clients across the private, public, and social sector on, on this topic of improved economic mobility for for all Americans is something that is is just it seems to be top of mind everywhere. And I think there's just broad recognition that opportunity that you have at at, at birth should not be a function of the resources that you have at birth. And, and because we can choose as a society and as a country to, to take a different course, to invest in human capital, 
and, and pick a much more dynamic future for, for ourselves. When the shift to actions that we can all take, what's the one thing that listeners can do today to help promote sustainable and inclusive growth? One thing that, that I think would be very actionable and is very actionable is to support Black-owned businesses. There are a number of different ways to do that, whether it be using your dollars to buy goods and services from these businesses, or if you're in a position to invest either personally or or in your or through your profession, but fostering and supporting business ownership in diverse communities is uh, really, really important to fostering this idea of sustainable inclusive growth. It will do a lot to support communities where many diverse founders live. And it will also do a lot for the job creation in those areas. So I would highly, highly, highly suggest that as one very tactical thing to go do. Thank you, Shelley. That was Shelley Stewart, a senior partner in our New Jersey office and the leader of McKinsey's research on Black economic mobility in the United States. I'm Quaylen Ellingrud. You've been listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast series. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Future of America podcast. We're thrilled you're joining us as we explore the journey toward a more sustainable and inclusive and growing economy. Be sure to subscribe to the Future of America podcast on whichever platform you use and check out our insights and research on these topics at mckinsey.com slash future of America. Thanks for being a part of the Future of America.